Welcome to the Home Theater Forum podcast. My name is Brian Dobbs. And I'm Sam Poston. Today, we're going to be talking about home video. Yeah, that's what we're all about here. Yeah, and the decision of whether we buy, rent, or stream. No, no, hang on a second, Brian, because I think I want to stop you right there and say buy, rent, and stream. I don't think there's an or in there. And stream, okay, okay. Sure, because we do all three of these, actually, don't we? Well, you and I both do, but uh, there's definitely been some feedback on the Home Theater Forum that we might be on a league of our own there. There's no crying in baseball! With a lot of people wanting it to be one or the other, I'm not sure I can go that way. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, uh, now, now that I think about it, I think I'm actually more of a buy, rent, or stream. I'm guessing you're more of a buy, rent, and stream. I have everything. Uh, so so I think there's definitely a spectrum here. And I, we're going to get into it. There is, I think at the you know top level, there is utility in all of these. And I think we're, we're going to go over that. And then I think we'll also talk about our personal preference and, and what we do. And we speculate as to what other people might do as well. So Sure, I'm with you on that. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of fear in this decision, though. And that's what I want to talk about. Okay. Well, how so? What do you mean? Well, the general gist I get from a lot of people, and, and they're not shy about saying this on not just our forum, but all across the internet, is that, oh my gosh, what happens to all of my purchases if I buy digital copies and those sites shut down? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that. So I think something happened recently. Yeah. This sounds like real familiar here, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've been ready to talk about this topic for a month, and I am... I'm all in on getting this out of the way and out in the open. Yeah, that's that's, that's right, because this is recent, so let's get into this. <laughs> let's do it. Let's see here. Hmm. What company came up in the news this week? Well, it was the ultraviolet storefront, I guess you could call it, aggregator of digital media, uh, uh-huh. which was one of the first between them and Disney to try to be the one thing to all people and all storefronts and didn't quite work out that way for him. So uh, I'm familiar with ultraviolet. I see the little digital copy codes all the time that I I don't use, but I I see it. Have you used it extensively or somewhat uh, at all? Well, um, it may be to the studio's dismay to hear this, but not only do I redeem every one of my codes immediately because I buy the movies that I want to see and I get them on disc, and I'm very happy to put them in my locker. But I've also been known to sell and trade codes, which is kind of a gray area out there. Oh, like what, online on eBay or something? Well, eBay, forums, Reddit, wherever good codes are found, you can find me looking for bargains. No kidding. Well, geez, I have a whole bunch of them. Maybe I should get in the game, too. <laughs> there you go. Well, they do expire, so be careful yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, uh, I, any of these that are tied to ultraviolet will go away if you don't redeem them by their final day, which I think was July 31st, something like that. So you got a couple months. Okay. Well, so a couple questions. Number one, what's the uh, average rate for sale, rate of sale for one of these? Oh, I mean, new releases can be more expensive than what you could buy it direct on iTunes because uh, people are either 
I don't want to use the word ignorant, but not paying attention or <laughs> uh, to as cheap as free for and tradable to 99 cents. I'd, I'd say a okay. catalog titles underneath the $5 range, though, but I've seen them as high as 15, which, like I said, is competitive with what the storefronts are selling them for. Uh, this is so this is, so this is new to me. I'm just going to, since we're talking about these digital codes, I've actually, what I've started doing was taking them out and uh, I take them to work and put them on the little table outside of my, out of my office. And I have this little sign that says free movie codes. Oh no. <laughs> and, That's cool. Uh, no one's taking them. Well, you can I, mail them to me. I will redeem them or trade them off if I already have them. I, you know, I'm. I think I might because, like, I don't think people know what they are or free isn't free enough. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Okay, well, so, really, so, you're, you're right on that because I have family <laughs> and friends that are like, I am never gonna redeem this. Do you want them? And I will like give them all to me. Okay, yeah, I'll take them all. So, so say I have an ultraviolet code. And they yep. have this ex- expiration date, not not the code, yep. not the expiration date for the code, but the expiration date for ultraviolet shutting down. Right. I have an account there. I got movies there. What yep. am I supposed to do at that point? How do I, so, so, do I transfer them? What's the yeah, idea? So, so what ultraviolet has done is they have partnered with a number of uh, services that are going to continue, uh, including most prominently Vudu, which is Walmart's digital storefront. And if you tie your ultraviolet account to Vudu, virtually all of your titles will transfer over there and live in your Vudu account. And if you then tie your Vudu account to your movies anywhere, those movies will then propagate to the other services like Disney and whoever else is tied into movies anywhere at this point. So um, yeah, it's very complicated, isn't it? Is there is there a cost to that, or is nope. it just no, 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 no? Hook it's up the a, account. And... Yeah, in fact, if you link accounts, they will often give you a movie per studio. Not a particularly great movie, but a movie nonetheless. Why would they do that though? Why, I, I'm just curious. Like, why well, would I mean, one you, you service link sure. to the to the to the next? Sure, because of consumer fear that this could all collapse at some point. Okay, so they're not doing that as a courtesy. They just, that's the business practice. I mean, it's like any business. You have what they call like capture costs and stuff like that. It costs you a certain number of dollars to get every new customer, right? And that's true for Amazon and Apple and Best Buy and, you know, any other business out there, you know, advertising dollars and whatever it costs to get people into your system. And so uh, free movies are a pretty nice perk. You get five movies for tying five different uh, services together, so it's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, but that that's the thing. It just seems to be pretty complicated sometimes. Um, I wanted to I wanted to just take a moment. I want to read something here from the Digital Bits. Uh, Go for you sent you sent me this link here, and and, mm-hmm. and I, I want to quote from it here. Um, this article was written by Bill Hunt over at the digitalbits.com. Good friend of Home Theater Forum, yep. Yeah, the title is Ultraviolet Cracked by Corporate Ultraviolence. That's a hell of a lead. Yeah, so long live digital media in all its forms. Bill goes on to say down here, let me find it. Both physical and digital have their value, people. One complements the other. Digital offers amazing convenience and saves space. Physical offers superior quality and a pleasing tactile experience. 
especially for those who like a good box set and swag. Yep. Digital makes possible more choices than ever before and exclusive new content that will never be available on disc. Physical generates revenue that pays for vital film preservation and restoration so that those titles aren't lost to time. Think restoration and preservation isn't important? Martin Scorsese's Film Foundation estimates that 50% of all American films made prior to 1950 are gone, as well as 90% of those made before 1929. That's thousands of films representing the work of tens of thousands of people, and that's just in the United States. That's crazy, isn't it? It's critical to remember, too, that some movies and content, especially rare, older, foreign, indie, and non-commercial content will likely never be made available on digital in the same way that many still aren't available on disc. With each new format, more and more films never make the transition, so preserving the titles that have appeared on physical media is important. I just think, man, that that's just that hits the nail right on the head. We're lovers of film here, right? We we both have, you know, our favorite triple <laughs> A films, but we like to dig into the history of film too and learn where we came from and what films introduced new concepts and new ways about thinking about the language of film. If you don't have that preservation available, that's all lost to the annals of history, you know? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and man, thank God we have such talented people, film preservationists and restoration teams and such. I just, it's all that work is like we were talking about with that new Peter Jackson thing. All that work is just, just fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, but I think this does get into the fear, right? It's, right. There's just this uncertainty about what title is available on what format. And I think generally Netflix has a lot of content. Yep. But what's available on their system seems to change monthly. Right. And on top of that, it just seems like with all the other streaming services popping up, that's even more titles being stripped away and such. Yeah. Siloed off, the way to think about it. You know, I, I know we're both interested in this Criterion new uh, streaming service. But think about the possibility that all those Criterion movies will only be available, I mean, not potentially not even on disc anymore because they're siloed away in that archive that you have to pay you know, whatever $10 a month for mm. that you don't have access to if you've chosen Netflix. Yeah, I, I get it. The subscription, I think it makes sense for certain sorts of things. I'm not comfortable with it entirely. Adobe, you know, I don't know if you use Adobe software, but I mean, I do. all their software I, now is like subscription-based, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and I was an early adopter of that, so I, I'm probably the wrong person to discuss the merits of it. For, for me, it, it made sense because I'm the type of person that likes to have the newest version of the software, and I don't mind putting up with bugs and things like that if it gets me new features. I have probably more subscriptions than anybody I know of between the Netflix and HBO and Adobe and a couple different Microsoft things for both Xbox and the 365 and all those types of things. So Yeah, I, right, right. I, I'm not opposed to subscriptions where it makes sense financially. Um, so Yeah, the, the concept of subscribing to something, you know, it, it, traditionally you think newspaper, magazine, that sort of thing. And <laughs> I guess you call me old fashioned, but that's it makes sense to me there with sure. with, with Adobe, I guess for, you know, my work or whatever, you know, that the office just pays for it. And it, may, it probably makes sense budgeting there and 
you know, whatever. But at home, I mean, I, I use Adobe software occasionally, like, you know, once every six months, let's say. So right. I'm a weekly user of Lightroom, so that it's a no-brainer for me. But that's actually a really good point is I'm a huge consumer of online news and Mm-hmm. I've been too cheap to subscribe to either the New York Times or the Washington Post or even Wired Magazine, which I read you know, daily until I hit my subscription limit. So and I guess we could talk about the advertising angle of that too, you know? Right. It's this getting people feel uncomfortable getting a subscription to the news, but, but no problem doing a subscription to like, you know, Netflix or something. And it's sure. I actually... I get the local paper, but I actually get the paper just because I like the, the look and feel and I can read it on the couch and it's just easier. Right. But uh, I know most people don't typically do that nowadays. Yeah, but I anyway. don't even know if there's there's a paper subscription around me anymore. I guess you could probably get the Baltimore Sun daily delivered. Yeah, you probably could. Um, yeah. But that's not really my local, you know? No, no, I, I get you. For me, I, like I said, I think I'm probably more of a buy, rent, or stream mm-hmm. in practice. Right. I always have seen the novelty of just turning on your TV and looking up a title and boom, there it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's magic. It's pure magic. Yes. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? You know, so so why do we have home video collections? Right. Why, why do we collect? Glad you brought that up. We have a really, really great article on that that was written by Raf, one of our oldest members, Robert A. Fox, who has sadly passed away. And he captures that pretty well. And it's uh, it's emotional, right? It, it's not logical. It's emotional. You have that connection to the physical product. You can look at it. You can take it out. You can lend it to other people. I mean, there's there's a lot of goodness in physical media. And not, not the least of which is it's the highest quality available on the market today. And I wonder if people's opinion would change or mellow a little bit if the quality was 100% the same on physical versus the streams and the downloads and stuff like that. They're damn close right now, though. I mean, if if you watch a 4K (laughs) stream with Dolby Atmos on either Netflix or Apple services, man, if you didn't know you weren't watching a disc and if you don't have a full complement of overhead Atmos speakers, you could fool... The vast majority of people. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely getting much better with the streaming. Um, I mean it certainly surpassed DVD quality for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know now that they have you can stream and surround sound and everything, and it is an emotional experience. You know the collection. I mean, as far as like the physical media, let's just say I wanted to go watch one of my favorite movies. You know, having it on disc, it's like I don't have to think about where it is. Is it on Netflix? Is it on Hulu? Whatever. So I go, I I pick it out. But before I pick it out, I take just a few moments to just look at my library just up on the shelves. And I don't have fancy shelves or anything. It's just two by sixes I put up on the unfinished portion of my basement. But I've got them all alphabetized and the the shelves are all level and everything. And (laughs) I got my little label, print out labels on there. This, you know, this section, that section. So it's and then people come down, they look at it like, oh, they're like, wow. You know, it's like transported yeah. back in time when this used to be commonplace. Yeah, it's a matter of pride, right? Yeah. Oh, pride for, and ownership. For sure. Yeah, totally. And I guess I would just feel so so much anxiety not having like the ones that I most value just within my reach, you know? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely that way. Uh, we've talked before how I like to keep my movie watching special by having a special room that, yeah. you know, I don't watch movies in, in my living room. I go down in the basement and mm-hmm. it's an experience. And part of that experience is pulling a disc off the shelf and doing that. But damn it, there's not a convenience factor balancing that out and just <laughs> sitting down and going through a menu and just picking from any of a thousand different pot- potential titles that either I own already or could within the span of 30 seconds. Do you watch special features? A little bit, uh, especially when I review for Home Theater Forum. I used to be an obsessive carnivore of special features because I, I at one point I wanted to be in the movie industry and wanted to do special effects and stuff like that. Yeah, man. And on like the triple a blockbusters or something that you know really came from out of nowhere and i absolutely love i'll give you an example baby driver i ate up every special feature that was available on baby driver Mm. but i can't do it with every film right i just simply don't have the time for that i've got so many different hobbies appreciating movies is one of them but uh, you know it's it's a big time sink so I, I'd rather spend that time, most of the time, to just watch another movie than to really dig into special features. That's one of the things I love about having the disc is all the special features. I mean, I think nowadays there's not so much of a concern of, of which version you're going to get because sometimes they'll do an initial release of, of a movie and it's bare bones, what we call bare bones. There's nothing on it. Mm-hmm. Then they'll come out with a second edition or a director's cut or something. It's got all the special features. and But you kind of had to know if the next one was going to come because then you you know you wouldn't want to double dip and that's probably going to be another show that we get into. I mean sure. nowadays you can pretty much feel confident and if you get the Blu-ray or the UHD it's going to have everything right out of the bat. There are rare exceptions but they're getting much better about just giving you all the special features instead of waiting for a second version. The crazy thing is that that's come to the digital as well. I mean especially on Apple side so many of the movies have you know, exact parody on special features with the oh, disc. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So if oh, you I haven't dug, that. if you haven't dug into that side of things, I think you might have your eyes opened a little bit. I mean, there's never a case that I've seen where there's more online than there is on the disc. Uh-huh. But it's always at least very close, if if not exactly the same. Uh, no kidding. Okay. Well, that's good. What about commentary tracks? Oh, I can't do commentary tracks because that's like watching the the whole movie a second time. I mean, again, there there's some exceptions. You put Kevin Smith in a room, and I'm going to listen to him for a couple hours. You put somebody like a um, oh uh, the guy that did Alien, uh, Ridley Scott, and I've listened to a few of his and. The, the guy that did Inception, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I've listened to a few there, too. But it's rare for me. Uh, I will do it. I'll, I'll skip around on a few of them, especially if I'm reviewing it for home theater form. But it, it's not my favorite thing to listen to for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if there was more time, I would do it if I could do something else at the same time, like, I don't know, get on the treadmill or yeah. something. Yeah. I actually, I did the extended edition, Lord of the Rings, all, okay. all three of them, and they have four commentary tracks on there. Oh my goodness. And it, I picked the one that talked about like all the special effects. 
I thought you were going to say you listened to all four of them and no. I was going to have to send an ambulance down there for you. <laughs> uh, this was back in college, actually. I yeah. like finished all my work and then just like watched you know, on my computer or something. But I think it, for me, it just boils down to peace of mind. You know, it's right on the shelf. I, it's there. It's everything. It all encapsulated right there in that nice little case. I suppose I could be a little bit more flexible. Like, as far as like all the core stuff that you need to have, like your Back to the Futures, your Jurassic Parks, your Indiana Jones, your Star Wars, like you want that right there on the shelf. Yep. Maybe you're a little bit more flexible with stuff you know. Oh, you know what? I'm going to watch the last five years of all the Oscar Best Picture winners. Yep. Those movies are generally like a only need to watch once. Yeah, in general, anything like before 1976, when did Jaws come out? Anything before Jaws, I, I, I don't necessarily have to have the highest possible quality in surround sound. Although they've done some terrific work retrofitting some of those tracks and changing mono to you know multi-track and stereo and surround sound and stuff like that. But I, I definitely have tiers like TV. I don't have to have anything ever produced on TV on a disc, right? You want to tell me that's online and I can skip episodes if I've seen one of them or get bored with it or don't want to watch the credits and be into the next episode within the snap of my fingers, I'm on it. You know, B-movies, a stream's fine, a rental's fine, a Netflix is fine. But for sure, when we get to the AAA movies where they've really outdone themselves with Atmos tracks and special effects, I, you know, I'm with you. I want, want to have the highest potential quality out there. What year did Barbarella come out? Barbarella Psychedella. Oh, 68? Something like that, maybe? <laughs> uh, uh, Is that one of your faves? Well, we can look I, that up. <laughs> we got to keep that one in there. So you were talking about TV... Like, you don't need any TV shows on disc. You're happy with them just right. available on Netflix or something. Right. And I, I I think I could somewhat agree with that. Now, I'm going to give you a very unique example of something that troubles me, even personally here. Okay. Think back maybe to, what's it, the year right before House of Cards debuted, okay? Um, there was all this talk about how House of Cards was going to be this you know, one of the first or maybe the first like television show produced for digital streaming service only. Actually, before Netflix was able to release this, Hulu beat them to the punch. Oh, did they? With a not quite well-known show. Think The Office, but a campaign. Okay. Okay. It was, it's called Battleground. I'm Deirdre Samuels and I approve this message. Let's be clear. When we say we want a press conference, you say, what time? No. I will always tell you what I think. That's my job. Your job is to win this election. There's going to be a film crew following us from now on. So if you're going to get high, do it off camera, people. Have you heard of this? Never, no. Okay. Tell me more. I only am aware of this show because my cousin, Allison, is in it. Oh, nice. She always tells us what she's in, and it came out, what was it? I guess it's 2013 or something. I forget. It took me years to actually finally watch it because I didn't, I didn't have Hulu. And I kept on asking her, hey, is this going to come out on DVD? Because I'd really like to, to watch it. Uh, um, yeah. Because I, I just don't have Hulu, and I don't, you know, I was starting to have kids. It's just like signing up for another 
streaming service, it just was going to be too complex, even though I know it's probably very simple. Sure. Uh, but it has never come out on DVD. But finally, years later, this must have been maybe last year or something, uh, I was uh, with a friend and I said, hey, do you have Hulu? They did. And we watched the first episode and it was, it's, they're short episodes, about 20, 21 minutes long. And it was hilarious. And okay. I was like, I, I, I love this already. It's it just mm-hmm. perfectly cast, that quirky, the office, documenting it, you know, that whole thing. The acting is great. And my cousin was in it. And so personally, I was very kind of proud of that. And I, I've always been a proponent that she save as much material as she can and with her career, just so she has that for her own personal collection. Um, and I was involved actually building her website and, and doing that sort of thing, like just saving all the videos that she was in so we could have them, whether or not cool. they were online or not. So this show is currently on Hulu. And I actually, when I said, hey, Ali, I watched your show, uh, but I was only able to watch the first few episodes. I was not able to finish the season. She's like, well, hey, you could obviously stream it on Hulu, but I was actually interested in, in to know if she had any hard copies. And actually she did. She had them on DVD. So I said, okay, well, can you, you know, bring them out for Christmas next time you came out? So she did. And I was able to make copies of them all, except the last five minutes of episode three, I can't get to because the disc is corrupted. So, as a family member, I want to be able to have this as like a personal kind of archive. Absolutely. But now I, I don't know how to get these last five minutes of the show. If if they had just released it on DVD, this would be like no problem, and I wouldn't have to think about this or lose sleep over it or try to figure out a way to hack into the system right. or something. You know what I mean? It's just frustrating. You have a very personal experience with that, but I will tell you. That with all these different silos, that frustration is everywhere. I, I would like to see The Handmaid's Tale, but that's locked onto Hulu, and I haven't chosen to subscribe to Hulu. I would love to see those new Star Trek series, but they're locked up on CBS All Access. And I happen to subscribe to HBO, so I get the Game of Thrones and all that stuff. But I'm sure there are shows on Showtime that I don't get. And I'm sure there's stuff that's going to come to NBC's silo that I'm not going to get. And I don't have kids, so am I going to spend the 10 bucks a month to get Disney's particular setup? I don't know. I'm all in on the Apple ecosystem, so if they launch theirs in April, I'm already paying for Apple Music. So do I get it for free or spend the next $10 a month for that? We appreciate it very much, Tim Apple. It's a lot to ask people to keep track of all this and figure yeah, out what's dude. on where you know oh my gosh you just rubik's cubed my mind man yeah. before i forget we yeah. did find handmaid's tale on disc oh yeah yeah absolutely but i mean um maybe maybe the second and third seasons will come out on disc or or not i i don't know right or like um, uh stranger things that like the the blu-ray took forever to come out yeah and and you can actually get house of cards on disc but you pay for that that season of House of Cards, and it's the same amount you would have paid to get everything on Netflix. I, I don't see the value there. I don't, I don't understand who these discs are for, but I guess there are people out there that see the value in that. From my perspective, yes, we, we get House of Cards on DVD. My wife and I, we have two children. <laughs> And they're great, but they take up a lot of our time. And the world just kind of goes by, you know, and we're just kind of stuck here at home with the kids. And it takes us maybe a few years to get caught up on things. And by the time we're trying to get caught up on things, we don't subscribe to any of these services. So so we don't really know what's on what. So 
it's just so convenient gotcha. to just go to the store and just, oh, there's the show. I don't remember what network this came on, if this was streaming, if this was cable, if this was primetime network television, I don't know. It's just there. I can grab it. And it's just simple. It just gives you peace of mind. Gotcha. And some of these shows, my wife and I will rewatch because they're that good. Yeah. And I'm sure like a lot of people nowadays, what are we all rewatching? Oh, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm... I'm looking forward to the next season. I haven't gone back yet, but uh, a lot maybe of people someday. are though, and and my wife and I are about to do that too. Yep. So In Dolby Atmos. Yeah. <laughs> Someone got us the box set one through seven. Nice. Blu-ray. We, we're gonna yep. dig into that. We're actually gonna make a whole weekend of it. We're dropping the kids off with mom, and I'm like, honey, do you just want a marathon Game of Thrones for a weekend? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're doing. And I can see the value in that, especially in this particular case where they are actually higher quality than what you can see on broadcast TV. I'm all for that. Where I might bend is not looking to Netflix for my primary shows and and movies because, let's face it, Netflix, the movie selection is not really that great, but they're really good on TV, at least the last time I was using it. But I don't mind watching a making... Yeah, Making a Murderer, you know? Yeah. With Stephen Avery, you know, like yes. that, that that's something you only really need to watch once. And I don't really right. need to own that because I know that it's not something I'm going to want to keep and hold on to. It's just I want to kind of be part of what's happening in the news and, and just know what's going on. And documentaries, you know, those the, you yep. really don't watch documentaries over and over, I suppose. And things like that. Maybe maybe comedy specials. OK. You know, something yeah. a little bit more just. I suppose that I, they're, they're, it's good content, but not something you, right. you might not rewatch. So I've given this a lot of thought, right? I, I've got the tiers where I, you know, just determined, you know, streams are okay and where I've got discs. Uh-huh. It sounds like you're not so hard and fast on that, but I don't think a lot of people have given this much thought. I guess I'm, you know, tied into the hobby more than anybody else. So I wonder if more and more people are going to you know, have to draw that line or they're just going to kind of roll with it, you know? In addition to, like, the documentaries and and the comedy specials, I'm thinking I'll pay for a streaming service when there's absolutely no other option. You know, when Netflix is making way too many movies and way too many movies that, like, you need to see and they're not releasing them on disc, then, you know, maybe, you know, I'll consider that if that's the case. But, I mean, they're they're coming out with movies that I'd like to be able to see, but I don't have the time necessarily to, to do it. There's an interesting example, just getting back to Game of Thrones, where a lot of people are rewatching the seasons and such. My wife and I have only ever seen them on disc, but I'm not sure if we are willing to wait until they release them on disc. Right. So this might be like our first venture into the HBO streaming. They, You can do that, oh, right? Just yeah. like sign yeah, up yeah. for HBO. and. Yeah. In fact, there's two different ways that you can do it. One, if you're a subscriber through cable... Uh, you can get the HBO Go, and you can watch it on your phone, on your iPad, whatever you know, whatever kind of tablet you've got, Xbox, Amazon or Google. Can yeah, I do Xbox, it on the Xbox. Sure, sure. And in fact, it may even look better than what your broadcast is capable of. I've got, uh, you know, I've got FiOS here, and believe it or not, the FiOS video stream is pretty crappy. Mm. So, I, in in many cases, uh, seeing things on the uh, the HBO apps looks better than it does over broadcast. There's also HBO Now, I think it's called, 
where if you're not a subscriber for like uh, 10 bucks a month, you can get, you know, everything HBO through that app. Oh, okay. I'll have to look into that because it's coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, if you did it for three months, I mean, that's 30 bucks, and you can definitely have those water cooler moments and be able to, you know, to keep up with it and not worry about spoilers and stuff like that. Every Christmas, we watch this one movie called The Ref. It's got uh, Dennis Leary, Kevin Kevin Spacey in it. And uh, they only have it on DVD, and it's a non-anamorphic release. Okay. So I have to stretch the heck out of it on the projector. Because it's just so low quality, and it's stretching it, like, something eventually ends up getting cropped if I stretch it too much. So... It's, it's never a perfect presentation at home. It's either too small or too big. But my brother-in-law, he said, well, hey, why don't you try to, to see if it's uh, on Netflix? And he actually checked on his phone and it, it came up and he started streaming it on his phone and it looked amazing. Then by the next Christmas, I'm like, hey, why don't we see if maybe Netflix has it? And it wasn't on there. So it had been removed. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, man, just the one time I want to use Netflix. Like, I really want it because it has a better quality version of it. It wasn't there. I just don't get that. Yeah. Well, I I, I do. I mean, it's like, you know, if you think of Netflix's uh, subscription like TV, I mean, you used to have to wait 12 months for something that was in the movies to come out on TV. And, you Mm -hmm. know, today you can buy it or rent it or stream it three months later so you and i were talking about can i stream dot it can i stream it and i I just looked up the ref for you and uh sadly they are still having those network issues so i couldn't even tell if it was on any other services now but but that uh, we talked about all these different silos and stuff like that yeah there are whole new services coming up to help people deal with the problem of having these you know too many different choices so welcome to the future, I guess, you know. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder how long it's going to be before Amazon just takes over everything. You know my thought on that. I think uh, that the front runner is going to be Apple on this stuff. So oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see their new service in April if the rumors are true. Hey, let me ask you this. Are, are you worried about tracking at all? Tracking in what manner? Well, that Apple or Google or Amazon is aggregating your viewing choices you know what websites you're going to and, and uh, on that. does that bother you well let's see here um i i i don't think i have a visceral reaction to that so i guess i would lean towards no yeah me either and uh, i think a lot of people used to be worried about it we, we talked about divix in the in the first podcast i mean that was really one of the things that i was vehemently against divix about because you know they were gonna track how many what movies you're watching and how often you watched them and stuff like that and i was particularly happy when divix died because that went away and it just kind of snuck in with everything else web related that all these streaming services can tell you know what you're watching i guess they can't even on the disc these days with the blu-ray stuff that uses java and sends stuff back to server so Mm, yeah. Again, welcome to the future. I tend not to connect my devices just because I don't want it to connect to the internet every time I boot something up. I'll, I'll play my Xbox One every so often, and basically every so often I have to update it or something, and that just 
and I have the lowest internet speed imaginable. Actually, probably Noah, it's it's so low, you could not imagine how low it is. So these updates take forever. I have to just, oh, well, we can't play video games tonight because we've got to update something. We're just going to check again tomorrow. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I've got 100 up, 100 down, and still those uh, those things are annoying. So I can only <laughs> imagine what it's like at your speeds. Yeah. Try like... 30 times lower <laughs> yeah and 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 i get it when we, when we talk on the forum about these streaming services and downloads and even things like steam and you know video games where you've got to download the whole game or download the whole game to your xbox these guys are like you know we're in the middle of the country and our internet service is you know three megabits per second where you know i'm looking at 100 megabytes per second type deal yeah i mean i get it right the 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 future is not evenly distributed but because i've got this it's hard for me to to see the pain that those kinds of people are experiencing with this stuff so i definitely am empathetic to people that can't stream things because they don't have services like that but so much of the country does have it that it's hard to get out of that bubble, you know? Mm-hmm. About how many movies or shows do you actually own on disc? I'm afraid to count the discs, but I will tell you, I've actually been giving away things that I've upgraded. Like if I had something on DVD and got it on Blu-ray, and there's not something particularly special about the DVD, I, I've given those away, and I'm doing the same thing now with the 4Ks. I'm going to say probably in the neighborhood of 900 to 1,000, which sounds like a lot until you start talking to other people on, the, on AVS and Home Theater Forum and Blu-ray who have, you know, literally five and 6,000 discs and stuff like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Jeez. And, and, and I've got a couple hundred in my digital lockers now, too. So those sneak up on you because, you know, you're not stacking those discs up somewhere on a shelf. And you find those bargains and you redeem those keys, you know, the, the codes. You can get a couple hundred pretty quickly, especially with the sales coming around Christmas time and the bundles and stuff like that. How about you? I'm in the same neighborhood. I think I just surpassed 1,000. Actually, I have a whole spreadsheet. I keep track of all this. Oh, no. See, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it helps so I can go back because sometimes I may not remember exactly which movie I have. So yeah, I, just, I have I that just... problem, too. See, I can just bring that spreadsheet up, like when I'm in the store, be like, "Oh, I do have this. Silly me. Yeah. Let me put this back." Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I think I th I think we just surpassed a thousand. But actually, it's a thousand line items, and one of those line items, for instance, the Blu-ray box set of Police Academy one through seven. <laughs> so that's seven in addition, right? Right, right. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I do it, just per you know per release, and a release may be a handful of movies. At some point, you look at this and you're like almost embarrassed that you've made this collection. And again, I, I turn it back to the, the RAF essay and say, you know, this is my hobby, right? It's not nearly as expensive as owning a boat, but it makes me happy. You know, I've got an investment in it in both the hardware and the software, and I'm okay with that, right? It's I could spend my money in a lot worse ways. Oh, yeah. You got to, you know, do what makes you happy. There are people that are obsessive with this stuff, and that'll never be me. But I'm not going to say I never bought a movie that I sat on for years and never watched, because that definitely happens. 
just this weekend. I went through and watched seven movies in one weekend. And again, that's kind of embarrassing too, right? <laughs> but you want to you want to say, hey, I'm getting the most from this hobby because I, you know, I put the money into my basement. Again, that basement makes me super happy. If there's one yeah. thing in my life that I can count on is that I can go down into my basement either by myself or with friends and family and throw something on for two hours and I know it's going to knock my socks off because, you know, we put the forethought into it. So it's what do you value? And, and I value that collection and I value the investment that I put into the home theater and I value being able to talk about it with you on this podcast and with people at Home Theater Forum. That's what makes me happy. I wouldn't feel guilty about your collection. You know, I just, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed about. I think we have a whole nother show regarding things we actually own that we no longer wish to own, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just leave it at that. You know, I think the way you go about your collection evolves. You know, you might think like, oh, you know, I'm going to buy all these kinds of movies just because it's what I think I have to do, you know, to be a completist. Right. But then you might, you know, for instance, you uh, you get seven or eight episodes, uh, sorry, seven or eight seasons into The Walking Dead, and maybe this season you say, you know what, I think I'm done with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you start with the Criterion Collection and you say to yourself, you know, I'm really getting an education in film creation and film history and then you look and you see next to all those that you got porkies three or something like that you know so it's all it's it's uh you know high class and low class it it it, we got everything in this in this hobby Mm -hmm. speaking of criterion i just finished the kotzi trilogy oh yeah that there was a criterion release right yeah yeah very much enjoyed the first two i felt as though the third one was it just remind, brought me back to college when I was on all these weird art history classes and mm. d- new digital media abstractionist video projection. Just I didn't it didn't quite age well. I, I thought um, okay. it was really odd. The whole thing was stretched like like a standard definition video stretched oh, to really? be widescreen, um, and all of the colors were inverted. And I'm sitting here thinking, had he just done a couple shots like this, I would have been like, okay. But now it's just like, it just seems so like like a gimmick that has completely outworn its welcome. And you're sure you didn't get a bootleg? <laughs> it's definitely not a bootleg. I actually conversed with a friend of mine about this who's actually much more familiar with the films. And he's acknowledged what I was saying and basically said, yeah, that was the film he intended on making. I don't know. I, I just can't help but feel as though it meant to be a standard definition release that okay. somebody messed up the master of it. I don't know. Um, I, I haven't looked into it. It just feels that way. Is it like drug fueled or something like that? Or is it, you think it's an artistic choice? You know, I just think it was right around the time when we started getting into it was released in 2002. Okay. So, you know, digital media was very early on. And I think the first two were, were shot on 70 millimeter film of just like, you know, the real world, things that right. happen, you know, people, places and things. And sure. the second one was basically found footage run through, you know, an early edition of Adobe Premiere using yeah. the standard plug-in filters. You right. Know. We've got filters. We must use them. Yeah. And it... So it reeked of that era, you know, I mean, it completely dated at this point. So I just didn't know 
if I was missing something. And it was all low-resolution stuff. Mm. So the first two movies are all this high-quality 70-millimeter film, and then this third one is just, like, just found footage, digital, crappy download, run-through premiere filter. It's just like, what the heck? Well, I do have all three of those, and and Kronos and Samsara are ready to go once I get through my real movie uh, backlog. But uh, the, again, the, the, those are the kinds of discs that I would buy at a you know a sale or something like that. Right. And they'd sit on the shelf, and now I'm doing the same thing with digital copies. So, do you think you could even get the, any of the Katsi stuff uh, streaming? Uh, we could check. Can I stream it when it comes back up? <laughs> I, it wouldn't surprise me if the first one's up there for sure. We we talked about all the different uh, subscription services. Which ones do you subscribe to specifically? Okay, so I specifically subscribe to Netflix, and I also have HBO through my cable company. But I also do Vudu for code redemption and bargain finding and trading and stuff like that. And I, I resisted that. I resisted the whole ultraviolet thing for like a year. I was one of the people on home theater forum. This ultraviolet thing is not fully baked and give me a call when it's ready. And then my family's like, we've got all these codes that we're buying in these discs. Do you want them? And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll collect them for the whole family so we can all share it with accounts and they had account linking, and now that's gone. So, uh, again, another whole level of welcome to the future here and <laughs> seeing things that used to work that are no longer working. I'm also a video gamer, so I subscribe to Xbox Live and PlayStation Plus. I think that's it for those kinds of services. I'm noodling with the idea of getting the Criterion thing. I'm definitely out on Voodoo or um, Hulu. I have no intention of getting Hulu, and I'm looking forward to whatever Apple thing's going to turn into. So, I mean, that's f- like four or five things right there. I think that's enough for anybody. I'm I'm already lost. <laughs> yeah. So this is also something that that's pretty near and dear to me is exposing my children to high quality children's material. Okay. I feel very passionately about this, and a hat tip to our friend Dave. Who, who who does a lot of this archiving, you know, of your personal collection, maybe perhaps getting something on disc, but like making a digital backup of it uh, and having a home media server, that sort of thing. This also kind of ties into what we're talking about. I felt very passionately that my children should know all of the classic Disney and Warner Brothers cartoons. The Mickey Mouse, the Donald Duck, the Goofy, not just the Mickey Mouse Playhouse that's on the Nickelodeon or whatever. You know, the, the 3D rendered cheap looking Mickey Mouse where there's absolutely no conflict and no one's, there's no animated violence or anything like that. I want them to watch the classic stuff because these are iconic characters. And if they don't have the traditional understanding about where these characters came from, then they're really not going to have the level of appreciation that I think these characters deserve. And I think you know, my children, they should be owed that. They should they should know who these characters are. And so I actually went online and I, I scoured the internet and got these 
collector's editions of the Walt Disney treasures. It's all the old black and white, all the original, you know, color, the, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, all these old classic cartoons. And they're great. And I digitized them because they, they eventually went out of production. So if you find them online, like each set, you know, there's 15 or 20 of these sets. Each set is like going for $100 or something. Oh, yeah. The uh, silver box ones. I have a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So they're 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 collectors' items, but I don't know if you can stream those. I'm not sure. I haven't seen them anywhere. Getting back to the the digital bits article, that's old content that's not widely available, and it should be because it's classic. It's part of our history. So I've, I'm scary. I'm doing that for Disney, Warner Brothers. I grew up on Garfield and Friends, He Man, and I don't know if you remember the uh, there was a 1982 animated series, The Incredible Hulk. It was only one season long, about 13 episodes, I think. I remember that being a show that I, you know, caught probably on reruns because I was only one at, you know, one years old at 1982. But I, I caught, you know, when I was a little kid. And I guess that was my first appreciation for comic books and such. There was also a Spider-Man cartoon around the same time period. I think they were kind of related because they show up in each other's cartoons. I could only find those as available as import versions from the UK. And uh, same thing with She-Ra. You know, it's a continuation of the He-Man universe. And it's, it's a nice female icon for, for my daughter to be aware of. But you could only get German import versions. And I would get them, and I couldn't play them on my player, but that's okay because I just ripped them onto a, a hard disk. You know, I had to find the English language track and then rip it for all 88 episodes. But I did that, and she she's now a fan of these classic cartoons. Yeah, and for me, it was definitely things like the Cosby Kids. This is Bill Cosby coming at you with music and fun. And if you're not careful, you may learn something before it's done. With the Me Too movement and Cosby going to jail, yeah. you never see them again, you know? I'd consider that classic, Fat Albert. I mean, that's that's a part of our cult. <laughs> you know, like everyone knows that. You know, like Song of the South. Wonderful feeling, wonderful day. And stuff like that. There's that, that archival stuff that you were talking yeah. about. Stuff you just never see again. That's got to be a whole separate show we get into one day. Separating the art from the from the person. I've got a lot of thoughts there, but we probably can't touch on it all today. You are granted a show on that, sir. <laughs> let me ask you this question. Let, let, let's make it easy, right? Do you expect that with the next generation of services whether it be discs or you know streaming that we're going to see like an 8k version of that do you expect to ever see a another disc based format or can you potentially see us going to all streaming and if we were to go to all streaming could you see it as being completely up to the quality that we're seeing with Dolby Atmos and True HD and with 4K UHD, especially the 4K part of that, you really need a big screen to take advantage of that resolution. Because if you have a 55-inch TV side-by-side, -side, 1080 and UHD, the difference isn't quite as noticeable when compared to something like on a 12-foot screen. Sure. I mean, it's really the HDR that makes the difference, not the true resolution, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're just talking resolution. So if we're going up to 8K, are we also improving the HDR, the UHD aspect of it? Or are we just, are we just bumping up in resolution? Yeah, for me, the resolution's almost not even part of the calculus. 
I mean, you get a little bit of it, but it makes a, a little bit of difference. But really, the jump date to UHD is really for the HDR and and the uh, the full extension of Dolby Atmos to every disc. It's it's better quality pixels and better quality sound than, than actual pure resolution. Yeah, I was at uh, Best Buy the other day back in their Magnolia Home Theater section, and they just had one of these smoking OLED 4K UHD with HDR on steroids and brightly lit room, and I saw the deepest blacks and the most vivid colors and my eyes were just melting, and I was like, oh, my God, that is way better than what I have at home. And you know what? That's the downside, right? I have an, a 55-inch OLED OLED, and pure pixel quality, it looks better than my projector. And the projectors certainly haven't caught up, so eventually we'll get back to parity with that, I hope. But for me, downstairs in the basement, big picture upstairs you know the better quality pixels i don't know how much you could improve the image when i was sitting there staring at at that now that's under way less than ideal conditions it looked amazing i just how much better could it possibly get so is it worth it to try to put out a new format gee that's a tough call yeah and and, and it's it's really the bottom line isn't it when we look at the quality that an El Cheapo panel can get today compared to the panels that we had 10 years ago, there's no comparing them, right? Especially if you integrate HDR into that decision. We've come so far and the prices have come down. Blu-ray was really a mainstream release format and UHD has got even higher quality, but people aren't calling for quality improvements right now, at least not on the mass scale. It's all on pricing and availability and titles that they can't get anymore quality i don't know if it's topped out but i don't know what we want that's better that would be worth it to the vast majority of people i wouldn't be surprised if we don't get anything else after 4k uhd now i hope they at least continue to make them or offer us something like oh here's the movie if you want to download it and burn your own copy just to satisfy the, the physical media collectors but without having to incur the expense of creating, you know, a plastic disc. Yeah, I mean, because when you think about it, you know, you can put something online on a streaming service for very low cost, where the, the actual cost of burning a disc, distributing it, marketing it is remarkably different than the back end cost of the, the streaming and, and download services. What it really comes down to is what's good for consumers versus what's good for the studios and vendors. I really hope that they continue the 3D technology for the home, only if they're natively producing content in 3D. I, I don't want fake 3D just because it's that that's it just feels way too artificial and i don't even know what the point is but if they came out with glasses free 3d tv which i do know there is there are companies working on this and i i thought they were supposed to be bringing these tvs to market but i'm not sure if it ever happened but i think that is something that that may or may not happen even more interesting i think is what's going to happen with the next set of Avatar movies, because I know James Cameron is not giving up on 3D. We definitely have a subset of 3D true believers at Home Theater Forum. I, I, I like 3D. I'll watch it when it's uh, available, but I, I'm not going to be too knocked out if uh, if it never really makes a, a home return. Cameron's got a good chance of doing it, though, if anybody can. I mean, can't you just see it? What's, what's the next one come out? This year? Next year? I think it's 2020. 
He comes down from the mountain. You have sinned a great sin in the sight of God. We will not live by your commandments. We're free. There is no freedom without the law. Those who will not live by the law shall die by the law. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And everyone is like, Oh my god, it's James Cameron. He's returned from the abyss. Right? And he's like, you all have forgotten 3D. I am here to return it to you. The master returns. You all shall listen to me. It's possible. I I think it could be another kick in the pants for 3D. I think he's demoed some of the glasses-free stuff, and he, I think he's working on that. I think his goal is to have it glasses-free by the time his next movie comes out in high frame rate. Yeah, and I'm all for that. Uh, We got an early demo of that out at Dolby when we went on the last home theater trip to Hollywood Boy, would I really like to see uh, a trip like that again, hint home theater forum owners. But the demo of that wasn't super great to me. You know, it, it definitely works, but I wouldn't put it in the category as as, uh, as compelling as uh, the 3D projection on, you know, 120-inch screen. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Uh, did you remember what the content was? Yeah, we watched Hugo. Uh, it was the only clip that was available. Ah, uh, okay. It was shot in 3D, though. Yeah, I mean, it looked terrific. I mean, the, the movie is not my favorite, but it, it looked decent. But would it be compelling enough for the masses to bring 3D back to stores? I, I don't know, and it certainly won't work with projectors. Now that's interesting, because I'll watch X-Men Days of Future Past, and that was filmed in 3D, and I, I, I got the 3D version of that. <laughs> it's unfortunate that the Rogue Cut was not released in 3D, because that's a better version of that movie. And actually, I would consider it to be the definitive version of that movie. But the 3D version is the theatrical version. And it's not that deep. There's just not much to it. Yeah, I'm not real familiar with any of them. But, you know, getting back to what we were talking about the other show, you know, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, boy, that pops. Yeah, I mean, there, there's tons of 3D movies that work great. There, there aren't any real streaming solutions for 3D today. So that's part of the problem. If you want to go to where the masses are, certainly, you know, having it available on on one of those services works. But I I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see it come back. That's probably a a topic for a whole other podcast at some point. I agree. I, I think you want the pop. You want it in your face. Last thing I wanted to talk about with you, Sam, is this this idea of renting back in the day renting in the age of blockbuster that made sense because you know you'd get a movie you take it home you'd copy it and then return it to blockbuster right nowadays i understand that there are actually ways to rent movies which is not quite buying it and not quite streaming it um do you maybe could give us a little bit of insight on that Sure. I mean, like iTunes and Vudu and all those other services, even PlayStation and Xbox have mechanisms where you can, you know, spend uh, $7.99 or $9.99 to have access to a movie for a certain period of time. That's not really the way that I tend to enjoy content, though. I'm a pretty patient person and also a very impatient person at the same time. So if there's like AAA content that I want, I'm going to buy the, the highest possible quality disc and get it uh, on release day. You know, I've even taken advantage of the Voodoo Disc Plus Digital 
So I get the digital early and get the Blu-ray UHD on release day. And then for catalog content and lesser quality, you know, I'll, I'll wait for a sale. I don't need to. I've got so much to watch at this point that I don't need to spend money for something that I'm not going to get to keep and watch as many times as I want. For me, there's a very, very slim window of both time and money and effort where rental would work. And pretty much the only time I'm ever doing a rental is if I go to a friend's or family's house and they want to watch something that I don't have in my locker or we don't have a mechanism to pull it up on whatever devices that they've got. When I listen to podcasts, they talk about renting from iTunes. And it, it's like you have it for a day or two or something. Yeah, it's like 24 hours or 48 hours. It seems pretty <laughs> limiting to me. I don't know. It's not for me. Who does that work on? I think it really comes down to, you know, stuff that people want to see but don't care about keeping long term. That's just a sunk cost. Is it because it's not available on streaming? Yeah, I mean, think about it, right? If you take a family of four out to the movies, that's going to cost you close to 100 bucks these days between tickets and popcorn and stuff. And you've got a week to see stuff in theaters these days right now, right? So spending $7.99 to have that content available in your home on a nice flat panel that almost everybody's got today, at least you know, a, a decent panel for a couple bucks, that, I mean, that's a compelling thing. It just really isn't how I tend to watch stuff. Okay, so here's the one of the last things I want to talk about. That Here's the idea. We hear a lot of folks talking about what happens if these services go away, and Sure, that, that's a possibility. We're, we're seeing ultraviolet go away right now, and we're dealing with how they're going to transition those to competing services. Are you worried about Voodoo going away? Are you worried about Amazon going away? Are you worried about Apple going away? I'm not worried about any of those things. What I am worried about is the fact that these libraries don't outlive me, right? So when I'm gone, yeah. every one of my um, pieces of content, whether it's on... You know, a, a streaming service, iTunes, Vudu, something like that. Even my PC games on Steam, right? Those are all gone. They die with me. If you've got those Blu-ray discs and DVDs and 4K discs, you can transfer them down to your, yeah. your friends and family. Uh, but those discs, the, uh, the content that you've got from codes and stuff like that, that poofs as soon as you go. Discs last quite a long time. If you're going to back something up, like, you know, make sure you back it up on disc. But that's such a good point, though, man. Yeah, I mean, we've seen disc rot and stuff like that, and you can lose content. It definitely happens, but I'm much, much more worried about me going away than I am any of these services. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've thought about that with all the family titles that we have, like all the Disney stuff that we have. You know, I'm showing my daughter, you know, the Snow Whites and the Wizard of Oz and such so she has these memories of seeing these as a child just like we all you know all the rest of us did and that someday she'll probably inherit these so she can watch them with her kids or she'll just have the kids come over grandpa's house and we could all watch them together because i don't mind watching re-watching all that stuff with the kids you know it's fun you keep it in the family and, and you keep the you know these historical these highly you know coveted cultural classics that we could just continue exposing each generation to i i just think there's so much value in that like i can't wait to get to the three stooges with my daughter that's going to be so much fun 
That's awesome, man. Can you imagine? Yeah. You know, and then when she gets older, we'll bust out a little bit uh, of uh, and live in color and married with children, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it, it, you know, every one of us has our own particular series and, and movies that we like more than anything. I don't have kids of my own, but still, I've got a considerable investment in this stuff. I'd hate to see it go away when I do. The reality is that until the laws change and until consumers demand different, that's the way things are going to run. So I'm a little worried about that, but it's, it's yeah. a, hopefully it's a long time away. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. For, for me right now, the digital purchases and streams and stuff like that, anytime I'm investing more in them, I know that it's the potential that they're not going to last you know, if I get hit by a bus. I will say this. I'm happy that streaming services exist because just knowing that they're there for, for things that I haven't seen before or don't have access to on disc, that also gives me comfort, peace of mind, you know, at least. Yeah, for sure. Another advantage to having things released on disc is that, you know, let's just say Walt Disney Treasures isn't available for streaming and you can't find a used copy of it on eBay. Well, you know, go ahead and check YouTube. Yeah. Because more likely than not, someone probably ripped it and put it up on YouTube. Yeah, stuff's all over the internet like that. And, you know, thank God for YouTube also because, you know, I'm not a big proponent uh, at all, really, of stealing copyrighted material. But, you know, if you're not going to make Song of the South available, (laughs) then we got to get it, put it on YouTube, you know? Yeah, and... You know, it's that whole long tail thing, right? Disney's got their their vault and stuff like that, so they'll take stuff off the market right. in, in time to time. Uh, and you not you don't have that with the, the streaming services. Once you've got it in your locker, you've got it forever. So, I mean, you've got options there. I'm not a piracy kind of guy, a bit torrent type stuff. You're definitely right that if the manufacturers aren't, the vendors, studios aren't going to make stuff available, there's that old saying, information wants to be free, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes things will find, you know, pop up around the net. I haven't actually seen Song of the South uh, since I was eight years old. So yep. someday, someday we'll get to it. There's a lot of options out there right now. Quite frankly, all of them have different values to different people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like to mix it up. I get that some people want to put it all uh, in one silo, one little bag. For me, I I think that having all those options is really where it's at. Here's what I'm thinking. Every movie or TV show that has ever existed, make it available for streaming. Just do it. Find a way to do it, okay? Also, if discs aren't released as something that you could buy at the store, offer me a way to download it and back it up myself. I'll pay a little bit more for that. That's ingrained in our culture now is this idea of, of ownership, you know, for many different things. Maybe it'll change, you know, everywhere, but maybe not. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that there's costs involved, even if it's just throwing it up on a site like that. Eventually, stuff will make it to market. You can't put it all out at once. I see on the forum that a a bunch of our users take advantage of a a service that Warner has, something on demand, discs on demand or something like that, where you pick the title and they one-off send you a disc like that. And that's certainly a possibility for the future for those of us that like to have hard copies. I don't know if it scales well to everybody. Right, right. So uh, I think that about wraps things up. Yeah, I think this was a good conversation. I'm actually surprised at how differently you and I treat different types of services out there. That just goes to show that, you know, we've got a very, very varied background here at Home Theater Forum. And I, I stick to my and 
situation while you got your or I just want to address two things before we uh, shut down today. One is uh, I, I see an awful lot of comments from people who are poo-pooing the quality of digital streams these days. I know I think that a lot of that is caused by people have having less than the highest quality internet service providers and not necessarily having the latest 4K streams in Dolby Atmos. But if you can put it all together and have a quality ISP, to have a good streaming source like an Apple TV or an Xbox and have content that's mastered in 4K and Dolby Atmos. Literally, the quality is stunning. I would put any of those sources up against the best Blu-ray out there. Now, granted, a lot of Blu-rays have the capability of having a Dolby True HD formatted Atmos, and yeah, you might get a little bit higher quality out of that. But for the most part, if your setup allows it, streams today can be absolutely breathtaking. You know, that leads to part number two, where we definitely recognize that not all countries are equal where this content is concerned. You know, we're, we have a, almost embarrassment of riches here in America with uh, different streaming services, almost too many. But the reality is that not every country has these same capabilities. I mean, just look at movies anywhere. You can't count on that service being available in Canada. I know that Ultraviolet was doing pretty well for some of our members up there where they were able to redeem codes. And there's a lot of confusion about how even something as mainstream as that will continue to operate in Canada. And, you know, what's available out there for other countries is simply a mystery to those of us in America with, you know, our heads in the clouds here. So it's not that we're not sympathetic to this stuff. We we absolutely are. And trust me, if I was, you know, in in a different country, I would be screaming for... you know, for those studios and providers to be able to put that content where I could get it. If it's not available, you're pushing people to go to piracy of that. So, you know, it's to the studio's advantage to be able to make this stuff available worldwide on the same day in the same highest quality for everyone. The economics might not be there yet. The laws might not be there yet. So, you know, there's certainly a a modicum of sympathy for the studios and vendors these days too. But the slower that they are to get all that stuff running, the more people outside the U.S. are going to look for those alternatives. I just wanted to address that. What we've talked about today, we're talking about the highest potential quality, and that's certainly what we strive for here at Home Theater Forum, but we recognize that not everybody's going to be able to grab it. So hopefully that changes sooner than later. All right. Well, thanks again, Sam, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Yep. See you, everybody. Thanks for the great conversation. Appreciate your feedback. Thanks to Home Theater Forum owners and uh, all the guys that have shared our podcast and put it out. Thanks. Have a good night, everybody.